0: Why You'll Never Be a Rapper, a memoir mixtape by Josh What's-His-Name-Lefkowitz, forward by Fonte Coleman. Chapter 6 Fuck with your heard The following spring, Asim and I got free tickets and backstage passes to Lollapalooza, courtesy of my brother David. I wasn't particularly enthused about attending a rock festival, but as hip-hop became more recognizable to the mainstream crowd, Perry Farrell and the organizers began peppering rap groups into the lineup. It was 1993, and that year's show featured a tribe called Quest, Beastie Boys, and Parliament Funkadelic, whom I was way too young to have ever cared for or respected nonetheless because of what my hip-hop forefathers had taught me in rap songs. Hassem and I dressed as much like rappers as we could. We wore long baggy jean shorts, Timberland construction boots, and leather backpacks containing almost nothing other than copies of our demo, the notebooks we wrote our raps in, and washcloths to wipe our brows. Yeah, we walked around with hand towels in the summer. I don't know, man. It was some southern shit. Tribe went on early. From the giant lawn of Walnut Creek Amphitheater in Raleigh, we watched them rip it down like pros, both of us ogling at their perfect performance. A couple of rock bands played, whomever they were, and the two of us meandered while surveying the crowd and taking it all in. I hadn't been a fan of the Beasties since their first album. They were experimental, read, ahead of their time, and I was too much of a grassroots b-boy to care. But from the moment their set started, the two of us witnessed their phenomenon before our very eyes. Holy shit, I said in my head. This is way bigger than I thought. The crowd, mostly made up of young white males, erupted in a frenzy. The North Carolina blue sky was filled with paper cocktail plates that flew like a million frisbees in the wind. I honestly had no idea who their fans were. I guess I just wasn't paying attention. I didn't want to hear guitars and subpar rhymes. I wanted regular rap like what we were doing. But this was undeniably mind-blowing damn yo asim said i guess the beasties done blew up it was an understatement at best while the rock bands played we hung backstage roaming around like hunter-gatherers searching for dinner for our families we weren't hunting for venison though we hunted for connections and the first prey we spotted was a tribe called quest's fife dog Yo, follow me, I told Asim, as we grabbed styrofoam plates, filled them up with gross hamburgers and potato chips, and sat down at the table with the five-foot assassin. As if it were one of our show routines, Asim caught onto the plan effortlessly. Oh shit, what up, Fife? Asim said, acting as if we didn't all but stalk him. What's up, fellas? Fife said, seeming genuine. I had no clue where this was going, but Sim was never scared to speak to anyone, so I let him do his thing. Yo, can I ask you a question? What the hell does it say in the chorus of electric relaxation, Asim said. I thought it was about one of the funniest methods of starting a conversation that I had ever heard, but I was happy that Asim had taken the lead. The electric relaxation chorus was one of hip-hop's biggest mysteries. Before the internet, there was no documentation of song lyrics unless the artist chose to include them in the liner notes of their albums. It was rare at best. There was even an article written in the Source magazine where they asked different people what they thought the lyrics were. The assumptions were quite diverse. I contained my laughter with a slight grin, but mostly paid close attention because frankly, I wanted to know. Unfazed, Fife looked up from his potato salad, looked at us directly in our eyes and said, Relax yourself, girl, please set till down, then continued shoving his face with potatoes and mayonnaise. We were both taken aback one of hip-hop's biggest mysteries had just been solved right in front of our faces. In fact, I think we both forgot that we were hungry MCs looking for a record deal and had subconsciously settled back into our roles as fans. To this day, I think Asim and I are only two of a handful of people who know the actual lyrics to one of the best hip-hop songs ever made. And even knowing the lyrics, it still sounds like Relax yourself, girl, preset, plan, whatever that means. Maybe he made it up. R.I.P. Fife. We left Malik alone, but the hunt didn't stop. The two of us perused the backstage for close to two hours looking for a way to get into the music business, and then we spotted George Clinton. Oh shit, Joe, look, I said to Asim. Holy fuck, he said. What are we going to say? I asked. Oh no, you think I should ask him what the cause of electric relaxation is? (laughs) No, I said laughing almost hysterically. I don't even know where the fuck that came from He said about the Fife Lyric I did want to know though He said Me too I shouted Still don't sound like that shit Ah Sim said I know but seriously what should we do Fuck it Ah Sim said Let's go say hello The two of us walked slowly towards the legend, and as we got closer, we saw the regular cast of P-Funk characters, the dude in the diaper, the skinny one with the star-shaped sunglasses and gold top hat, the guy who looked like a superhero who got his powers from freebasing, and five or six middle-aged hangers-on who looked like their sole purpose in life was to follow these men around the country, providing sex and drugs for the last 35 or so years. Asim spoke up. "Excuse me,' he said respectfully. "'How you doing?' We just wanted to come up and say hello to you. "'Okay, young brother,' George replied. <laughs> "'Yeah, it's a real honor. We're rappers, and we have a group called the Noses,' Asim said. "'Y'all called the Noses?' George said, looking and sounding intrigued. "'Asim confirmed. "'Even though my attempts at a name change had fallen on deaf ears, "'it did result in an official discussion and our proclamation that the Noses was not a reference to the things on our faces.'" But George had no idea. Since the 70s, he had a character called Sir Nose that was the star of many a live show and drug-induced album skit. He heard Nose, K-N-O-Z-E, and thought Nose, N-O-S-E. It wasn't how I wanted to be known, but I figured, who knows, maybe it'll work. So let's hear it, George said with a smile that gave us a boost to start without even considering the alternative. In true Nose's fashion, we gave him a performance that was nothing short of legendary. He bobbed his head, laughed at our comical metaphors, and clapped like Chun-Li from Street Fighter when she defeats one of her male opponents. After one performance it was, Oh wow, hold up, let me grab my band. After two it was, Oh shit, let me grab my cousin. After three it became, Okay, I gotta grab my nephew. Y'all ain't no joke. Do the first one again. So he did. George's nephew was just as impressed as he was. As he listened, he peered at us through his glasses and I could almost make out green dollar signs in his eyes. After the performance segment of our audition came to a close, the big man took down our phone numbers and gave us autographs. He drew a big cartoon dog with long ears and wrote, Woof, woof, before signing his name. We felt like superstars, but even still, I turned to George and said, Hey man, it's been a pleasure. I only hoped that he would give me a nod or some other gesture to simply acknowledge that he heard me. But George replied, Well, yes, it has, young brothers. I'm gonna come back and sign y'all. I want y'all to be the first act on my new label. What did he just say? Is he shitting us right now? I thought. I made my best effort to stay composed, but the excitement overwhelmed me like a sudden case of influenza. What was that? I asked calmly. I said I want to make y'all the first act on my new label. Scoop-a-poop records. Scoop-a-poop! I wanted to make sure this conversation wasn't the result of someone slipping a lab-made narcotic into the soda I was drinking. I turned to Asim and gave him an unmistakable look that read like an emotional cocktail recipe. One part shock, two parts excitement, two teaspoons of terror. But Asim was already frozen like the ice cubes my cocktail may have been served over. There was never a time before this when we were at a loss for words, but that was probably because one of the most influential people in the history of music had never mentioned giving us a record deal. Look here, George said in his deep and gravelly voice. I'm gonna let my nephew get in touch with y'all. He gonna tell y'all about it and what Uh, all right then, I said. And when sim finally seemed to come to, he snapped back to his jovial self. All right then, George, we we'll holla, he yelled over the roar of the crowd on the other side of the tall wooden fence. We stood there silently for a few seconds while George and his tribe of funksmen walked away until they were completely out of sight. Once it was clear that he was gone, we turned around and headed back towards the giant lawn where the common folk dwelled. Neither of us said a word. We just walked from the dirt road area that they used as a backstage, around the security guards and the metal barricades, and back to general population, where we inevitably came back down to earth. Hey yo, I Sim said with a smirk and a short pause. We just rhymed for George Clinton, (laughs) dawg! That shit was crazier than hell! I know, right? I screamed after finally breaking away from the bro hug that I had just been yanked into. He said he wanted to sign us! I know, my wiser, older rap partner said. We'll see how that go, though. I don't want to get too excited. I was 17 and had about as much desire to further my education as I did to get open-heart surgery. Hell, I didn't even expect to have to finish high school. I figured I'd be signed to a major label by the time I was 18 and used the professional recording contract as an excuse to my parents for not applying to any colleges. It had all started to seem like a pipe dream, but now we had a real shot. With someone who could make this happen, all we needed was a call. Four days later, I was in chemistry class, completely zoned into space, when my beeper vibrated in my pocket. It was Asim and contained not only his identifying code O2, but also three 911s letting me know that it was a real emergency. I asked to use the bathroom and went to the payphones that were just outside of the wing where my class was to give him a call. Yo, I said with a half whisper. What the hell is going on? I'm in class. Give me the number of the payphone you're on so I can call you, Asim said frantically the fuck do you mean? I'm on the phone with you now! I replied, sounding equally as frantic. George Clinton just called me! He said. What? When? I screamed, forgetting that I was outside my high school and just steps away from the riveting lesson on chromosomes I had just walked out of. Now! He just called me now and I'm gonna call you back on three-way! Ah Sim yelled. Oh my! Holy shit! I yelled back and gave him the number three times to make sure he had it right. I got it! I got it! Ah Sim said, cutting me off and then hanging up the phone to call me back. Within seconds, the payphone rang. Hello? I said, trying to sound more composed than I did a few seconds before. Sure enough, it was Asim and the Funk Doctor himself on one end of the line, with me standing outside the wing of my high school all alone, hoping a teacher on their prep period wouldn't catch me. What's up, baby? It's George. He said in that unmistakable voice I had heard on countless records. Oh, what's up, George? I said, because what else would I have said? I wanted to get both of y'all on the phone at the same time so we could talk about making some music, he said through his raspy southern drawl. Okay, cool, Sim replied, trying his hardest not to sound as excited as I knew he was inside. So let me get my nephew on the phone now, cause he's gonna be running my label and handling all the music, he said to us. Hold on! Within a split second, nephew picked up the phone like they were kids sitting with their cheeks touching so they could both hear. We shared about a minute of vague icebreakers before he got down to business. I was never a drug user, but I could tell when someone was inebriated from something other than weed or alcohol, and this guy fit the bill. So I'm going to send y'all some contracts to sign, and then I'm going to send y'all some music and shit, he said rapidly, slurring almost every word. Never one to fall for the okie doke Asim jumped on the defense. Wait a minute, what contracts? What are they for? Asim sounded concerned. Well, like, you know, like, I'm going to just send them to y'all, y'all can read them over and shit. It's just going to be like, you know, about the publishing and stuff. Nephew slurred back before Asim cut him off. Hold up, Asim barked. What do you mean, our publishing? Well, you know, like, helping y'all out. I'm going to get a cut of the publishing. Nephew replied as I just listened silently. Well, that ain't happening, so you can send whatever you want. Asim scolded. But if the contracts ain't right, then we ain't signing shit. Unfazed and unaware of reality or the results of the conversation, Nephew replied, Okay, sounds good. I'm gonna holla at y'all, quite pleasantly before hanging up. If there was one lesson we learned from our rap predecessors, it was to always watch your publishing. This was how artists monetized their compositions and where rappers and singers made a bulk of their income. For him to even bring it up was a telltale sign that this was not going to be a positive situation for us, at least not in the long run. Even though Asim and I were still wet behind the ears, we were not about to let our first opportunity ruin any chances of us ever earning a living in the music industry or earning less than we were supposed to. Thus, in the end, no contracts were ever sent. In fact, Scoop of Poop records didn't even exist and neither George nor his nephew would ever be heard from again. For Asim and me, the situation was an emotional roller coaster. We thought we were about to have the opportunity of a lifetime after performing for one of the most influential men in the history of urban music and ultimately impressing him. But in the end, we were nothing more than what's known in the streets of Durham as a lick or a come-up. Essentially, we would be on the wrong end of a common music industry scam. Big Fish signs Little Fish and takes more of their profits than they should before the Little Fish realizes that they're screwed for life. This would be the first of many music industry situations that would take me on a ride I didn't necessarily expect to go on. Unscathed by our minor setback, the noses pressed on and continued to make music for the next two years until 1995 when we broke up due to creative differences. For the first time, I decided that I was done with the notion of needing a partner. I would be a solo artist. I had been a member of three failed groups and all of them left me with songs I couldn't use and an empty resume. It was time to trust my opinion and stand on my own two feet. This is where my journey really began. The one-man army had come to town.